will it work? You do not know how many times people come up to me in my workshops and go, Alan, I've got this idea, but will it work? What do you think my response is? It's like, I don't know. (laughs) Shall we try? Shall we have a go? Let's have a go. You will never know until you have a go. So the key to this is if you have an idea, work out how to minimize the risk and do it. Have a go, test it, try it, because you never know where it will lead. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome back to The Rebel Entrepreneur coaching series. And on that theme of trying it, we're on the third episode with Andrew Alinda, where we've been talking all about your Cali to the Crowd YouTube channel and what you've been up to. Welcome back to the show, Andrew. Alan, thanks again for having me on here. It's really great to be back and I'm excited to tell you what I've been up to. I know. Like it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken. We did two episodes. There were so many takeaways. We spoke about monetizing the channel, reaching out to sponsors, sending messages, possibly running events. We had Matt come on the show and he gave you all sorts of ideas about the YouTube channel. We've made massive progress. What have you done? Have you tried anything? I've been a busy boy, Alan. <laughs> Just coming back onto what we spoke about before, what I found interesting from both of those episodes actually was the fact that you gave me a lot of advice on the business side. How can I turn this into a business? How can I think about this more like a business than a hobby? And then Matt gave me a lot of advice, you know, very specific advice from the YouTube side as somebody who's already grown a community on YouTube and has found his passion doing what he loved and the transformation it brought him and how I could apply those same principles to what I was doing. And that was extremely valuable. As you know, you guys gave me a lot of homework and I've been busy chipping away (laughs) at that. Yes. (laughs) If you're going to come on the coaching series on the Rebel Entrepreneur, be prepared to get homework Luckily, it's the geeks that actually do the homework who are the ones that make the progress. This is not (laughs) the same as school. Yeah, so tell us, what was this homework? What have you tried? What have you tested? What's gone on? Yeah, so um, I mean, I I was thinking I could literally just take you through each of the items one by one and then to let you know what I learned along the way. So I'll take you through them in the order in which I did them. So the first thing was the banner. There was a lot of feedback from the banner. I think this one actually was something from you and Matt both picked up on, that somebody landing on my YouTube channel homepage might not know what calisthenics is. At the time, I think the banner just read, Cali to the crowd, new videos every week. It was very, to the point, very concise. But if you didn't know what calisthenics was about, you may be confused. So what I decided to do was to keep the new videos every week. I added a line about, calisthenics, calisthenics specifically, new calisthenics videos every week. And then I actually read a a journal in a marketing week about show, not tell. So rather than explaining what calisthenics is, I then just dropped an image of myself on the banner doing a calisthenics skill. So people will connect the two together and infer what calisthenics is about, probably want to learn more, and then take a look at the homepage and interact with the content below. I love that. 
I'm just looking at it now and you've added a fantastic image in there um, so that the people listening can play along with this. Where can they find your YouTube channel, Andrew? What do they type in? Yeah, so you can go into the YouTube, jump into the search box and type in Cali to the crowd, C-L-A-I to the crowd, or just search my name, Andrew, Alinda, both will pop me up onto YouTube. I land on my homepage and you'll see the banner at the top. And that is a striking image that's going to get attention. And I love that show. Don't tell. That's fantastic. It shows exactly what the channel is about. Excellent work. Yeah. So that actually did pretty straight away. And then the next thing uh, I actually tried as well was um, I received a fair amount of feedback on the intro. So the intro video that I had I had calisthenics transformation video. It was front and center on the channel as the video that would play. If you weren't a subscriber to me, it would automatically play on my channel and it would go straight into that. Now, what I did was I swapped it out for the absolute beginner video. This is one of my most popular videos on the channel. It's a video where I do spend a lot of time speaking directly down the barrel of the camera, speaking to people. You get a lot of me speaking to the video. I tried that for two weeks. And what I found interesting was that you can see in my YouTube analytics, you can see the number of people that have subscribed from my homepage. And there is a distinct dip in the number of people that were subscribing via my homepage during that time. The two correlate too well for it to be a coincidence. I put the transformation video back. And not only is that video performing better now, I'm getting more, we're we're talking marginal here, right? So I get about 10 new subscribers a day. But because it's that small, I notice big swings. I notice very little um, swings as really big impacts on particular areas of my page. So I put it back and the number of subscribers from my homepage actually went back to normal. So what I think that is, that's that's a really good example of me trying something, right? I I, I tried something. You know what? It, It could have been fantastic. I'd certainly never twiddled with it before. Now I know there is a sort of primal thing about that video. I don't know what it is, (laughs) but it's clearly attracting a whole load of people. What's fascinating for everyone listening to this and for both of us as well is the concept of test and measure. And what you have done is gone, okay, I've got my baseline numbers. I know where I am. I'm 10 subscribers a day. Let's try something new. I tested. Oops, I messed things up. (laughs) It got worse. Stick it back to the old version. And you've tested, measured, know where you go, and then you can do again. So then my thing is, well, let's test and measure again. Because sometimes it will dip the wrong way and you set it back. Sometimes it'll go the right way and you'll move from there. And test and measure is what we all have to do with our businesses. When we're doing marketing for the Rebel Business School, we send out an advert and we see how many people sign up to the course. And then we measure the outcome and we try another advert and we try another way of doing it. And a lot of business is trial and error. It's test and measure. You can learn all you can, but until you implement, you'll never know. So that's a fantastic piece of learning for that. That that video is better than the beginner's video. Now we need to test again and see which way we can get it because we want to continually tweak. So you go from 10 subscribers a day to 15 and from 15 to 20, and from 20 to 30, and then start to scale that from there. It's very interesting because that's actually the theme of some of the other things that I'm going to speak about as well. I tried something, 
one thing all these exercises have done is it's made me really, really familiar with YouTube analytics, right? Because that the data, that's where you're going to really learn about what people like, right? I could put a video up and ask my friends. I know you say this a lot on the on the podcast. Did you like the video? Did you like the new thing I've done? Of course, they're going to say, yeah. They're going to say, yeah, I loved it. The thing, the deciding factor will be, okay, well, how many people stayed to watch the next video? How many people exited? How many people subscribed? That's going to be where the meat is. Yes, that's your version of asking for the sale. That's your version of asking for the money is yeah. are people watching. At some stage, you will actually ask for the money and that will be a whole new test. But at the moment, that's the bit. And for all sorts of different bits, it goes, okay, I tried this different thing. Did I get more website visitors? Did I get more traffic? Do I get more viewers? Where's the analytics? And making data-based decisions about what you want to do with your business is absolutely the best way to do it. And even if you were doing cold calling, Andrew, it'd be the same thing. So if you were making 100 phone calls, I try this pitch and I get three meetings. Then I do another 100 phone calls with a different pitch and I get five meetings. Or actually I get zero meetings and I can go back and try something else. Or I send 100 emails and this is the response I get. But it's knowing those numbers will allow you to make good decisions. And I never knew those numbers in the early days. And the interesting bit is I don't think most businesses do. So if you're listening to this, do you know what your numbers are? Are you gathering the data that can help you make good business decisions and help you to move forwards? Because that's going to be the bit that really changes things. Are you looking to see what your most engaging post is when you do it on social? Are you looking to see what brings in the most traffic to your website? Are you looking to see what converts the most to sales? Because that's what we start to tweak and improve our businesses. So I love that you've got that message from this. 100%. Anything that can be measured can be improved. And on that note, uh, I actually want to take you to some of the feedback that Matt and Rob gave me on the actual formats of the video. There are snippets of some videos in the past where I can be talking for a while without cuts between some of the videos. They picked up on that. And even though I am delivering value, because the screen stays static for a while, bar me speaking to the camera, it does leave points where the mind wanders. That was their feedback. Um, so I took that on board and I actually decided to not only take their advice and front load the information, but also stick in various scenes every 15, 20 odd seconds where the scenes do change, whether it's I'm doing a voiceover or I change literally the angle at which I'm sitting with relation to the camera. I've tried different transition techniques to really allow for the video to just look like it's rolling through and not just one static person talking down the barrel of a camera for lengthy periods of time. What I've actually seen is that I'm getting a larger percentage of people. Um, let, let me take a step back. On YouTube, one of the biggest metrics you can get on your videos is the number of people that watch the first 30 seconds of the video. According to YouTube, that is the first impression, if you want. That metric tells YouTube how many people are engaged in your video. If they can soldier through, <laughs> wade through the first 30 seconds, then chances are they're enjoying your content and they will enjoy more. So YouTube will promote your videos more. The percentage of people actually sticking around for those 30 seconds has, has drastically increased. I'm still providing the same, um, the same type of content. It's still high value. I haven't changed any 
wording. It's still valuable to the end listener, as were my previous videos. The only difference is now I'm making it more visually stimulating. And that is coming across in the data as well. That is fantastic. And it ties in perfectly to what we talk about with presentations and pitches, which is put your most valuable content right up front, like grab people's attentions. We have such short attention spans. And as we all know, with algorithms on social media, if you can get people's attention, the algorithms like you and it'll promote you even further. So uh, that's awesome that you are testing and measuring the results and seeing the changes. And yeah, that's fantastic. Nice work. Yeah, um, really great. And then rolling on through that because it's with a similar theme towards that first early part of the video. So I did test this again. Like I said, testing has got the theme of today's episode. I tested removing out the intro. And this was feedback that Rob mentioned. Remove the intro. And the feedback on that was quite mixed. So first, actually on my YouTube channel in the community section, I actually ran a poll on specifically with verbatim. I really wanted to know what people thought. So I had the data that could tell me explicitly what people thought with the number of people that were watching. But then I also wanted to hear verbatim. And the, the main people that engage with that community tab on my YouTube channel are usually the people that are, you know, they're my super fans. They're, they're the people that comment immediately when a video goes live. Their feedback is really important to me. Mm, I love what you do. Yeah. Exactly. So I tested this out with two videos and I, I just put a poll. Um, I took the tip that you mentioned about um, Tim Ferriss just talking about trialing out new stuff with his engaged followers. And the feedback was mixed. There were some people that liked that there was no intro, but a lot of the feedback actually mentioned that um, it felt less like a professional video because it just looked like I just picked up the phone and started talking. It's one of those things that when I actually looked at the data as well, the difference in the number of people on those two videos, and I'm taking a look at that number of people looking at the first 30 seconds, the difference is, well, it, is, it was negligible. There was next to no difference. So what I decided was after those two videos, I tried it. I put it back in for the third video. I think it's my latest video. I put the intro back in. And again, no drop off of the 30 second mark. So what I've kind of done is I've coupled the, the previous bit of advice that they gave me about front-loading the information, as well as making sure that I'm making it more visually stimulating. And it seems like that is higher value than removing the intro and shortening the video. So I think that's a really good example as well of using the data and feedback from essentially my most engaged following to get an understanding of how people were engaging with it. essentially a feature on my video that may or may not have been valuable. Yes. And I think what I love about this is it is always theories. So we have theories about what will work, what won't, and then we do it. The bit that most people never do is they never go past the theory to the data to work out, is this theory correct or not? And my wife and I, Katie, are doing a a new article for my blog at the moment, which is based on sustainable index funds and investing. And my theory is that a general index fund will have more businesses in it than a sustainable index fund. But I don't know. So uh, Katie is getting geeky with the data and creating graphs and charts, and we're going to actually prove it or not. And I think that's the bit is 
we all come up with theories for our business and then we need to test those theories, prove if they're right or wrong. What you've proved is doesn't make any difference. So go back to having the short intro and using the other tips of front-loading the information and making it visual has probably improved it beyond removing the intro. So yeah, we have a theory, we test it, we apply it, we see if it works, then we do more of the thing that works. And I love that. This is definitely the theme of the episode is test, measure, implement hard. 100%, yeah. And what I actually like about the example you just gave is it's not static. Just because it's right now doesn't mean it might not be right in the future. These things are always moving, right? So you could go to somebody's YouTube channel and take a look at the video that they had on their homepage using a caching tool, right? So I can actually take a look at that, drop their URL into a time machine. You can do that on Google and take a look at what the page looked like five years ago. And you can look at some of the the videos that people had on their homepage and you're like, who was watching this? But you know what? They've moved. They've moved. That was five years ago. YouTube five years ago is a very different tool to what it is now. And just because something might be right now does not mean that it might not be right in the future. And yeah, it's a really interesting landscape to be in. So you've changed the banner. You've worked on the intro video. You've worked on the format of the video. You've tested removing the intro. You've been busy. What else have you been up to? This, I think, is the biggie. Right. And I really want to share this with you because I've been working quite hard at this. So there was a point where we spoke about how I want to turn this into a business. Do I want to leverage other people's products? Do I want to leverage my own products and services? I guess the first side of that coin was about outreach. So reaching out to brands. And as part of that, I sent a couple of emails to brands and I've Got a few responses, but I actually want to read out the email that I sent because I'm actually quite proud of it. I mean, do you mind me sharing that? No, absolutely. Because I think this is the fascinating bit that people actually say. It's like, I say to them, reach out to brands. And then they go, but what do I say? So if this has actually led to responses and is working, I think it's fantastic. So let's listen to what Andrew said that actually gets responses because that's the key part. So I would love to know. Sure. So there were kind of three things I wanted to get across to whoever was going to read this email. The first was my personality. I think that's really important to get across when you're talking. You don't want to sound like a machine. The second was why they should take the time to even read that email. I really wanted to front load that. And the third was like, what value I could add to them? How could I make their job easier? How could I promote their brands and their products? So I started with hi insert name here, that I pulled from LinkedIn after a whole load of stalking. I run a fitness YouTube channel and Instagram focused on calisthenics and bodyweight training that has garnered a highly engaged following of over 5,000 people from 62 videos with 260,000 views. See attached media pack for details. This isn't part of the email, but um, in that media pack, I speak about the demographics, the type of people watching my videos, how it relates to them, why I feel these people will have value added mutually between their brand and mine. I sent this email to mainly supplement brands. So people that produce protein, creatine, all of the fitness sort of supplements that I personally use myself. Okay, back to the email. 
Having used and loved various MyProtein products for over a decade, I know there is a place for my content to add value to the MyProtein community, and I'm keen to partner with you to create an Instagram and YouTube content on the best way, sorry, way spelled W-H-E-Y, as in the protein, to use supplements <laughs> for a specific focus on calisthenics, gymnastics, and bodyweight fitness. The appetite for this form of fitness has been thrown into overdrive due to gyms closing and then opening and then closing again. And the growth of my own channel is proof of this. I'd love to set up a call to better understand what problems you're currently facing and to see how I can better add value here. So please get back to me if this interests you. And yeah, I sent that out to the two supplement brands that I use regularly. That was the one I sent to my protein, as you've probably guessed. And they got back to me asking more about what I have been up to, basically my, my, my fitness journey, which was huge for me personally. I did not expect a reply. This is one of those things where I think talking about how people who are starting their own side hustles can feel really intimidated about speaking to the brands that they love, the brands that they use. But ultimately, if you've got a story here and you feel you can add value, chances are they will be willing to reach out. Now, I actually sent similar emails to other brands and the learning I actually got from them was I, I feel more valuable. This is extremely exciting and I, I'm going to pursue this. But the learnings I got from other brands, so I sent a message to a couple of the equipment brands that I use. And what I found interesting was some of them didn't respond. I sent them chases, but some of them didn't respond. And some of them sent me responses, but I don't feel they placed enough value on my content. What do I mean by this? I had a brand, I won't mention the name, but I had a brand email me back and I was really excited when I saw the email come through. And they wanted me to run a advert on my YouTube channel for, I think it was 30 seconds long, and they would give me a free product to talk about in the ad. Now, the products that they supply aren't that expensive. They're about £10 a piece. And I produce my YouTube content completely for free. For me to then, even for a product that I, I use myself... For me to then spend 30 seconds, which we've already spoken about in this podcast, about being a very valuable piece of time in the YouTube space, talking about a product that I don't feel the brand has placed enough value on the content specifically being aligned to that product, I felt empowered to basically decline them. I didn't shut the door. I didn't burn the bridge, but I basically said, I feel that the level of effort that I put into building this content should garner essentially a, a higher rate. I said it in a nicer way, in a way that leaves them open, us open to have a conversation in the future. But um, I certainly didn't pursue that. Does that make sense? It does completely make sense. I know you've already replied. If we could rewind back the clock and I was talking to you in the middle, I would have said, get them on the phone. Thank you for showing interest. This is excellent. I would love to speak to you about what you want. And then I would talk to them. And it's within that call that you can then show your value, show what you're doing, engage them, find out what their problems are, find out where it's going. They've shown interest. And that is an opening offer. And I think what's always important to realize is people will be cheeky. If you do not ask, you will not get. So they ask for what they want. That doesn't mean that they don't respect you. They're just trying it on. 
and that's okay. They can ask. You don't have to accept. Yeah, it's very interesting you say that because the email I said certainly didn't close the door. I read it out, but I know I, I don't want to take the whole podcast reading out emails. But essentially, I mentioned to them to the effect of I don't feel that free products will be enough for me to promote it. But I certainly didn't close the door. And there is certainly an opportunity for me to actually email them back and say, look, I feel that there's opportunities for both of us here. Should we have a call about this? So with that feedback, Alan, I'd happily set that up. Did they respond to your email saying, I'm not sure free products is right? Uh, No, they haven't. But that was only this morning. So there's time for them to respond. And if they respond, I could certainly reply with that effectively. Yes. So I think to everyone listening, when you get an email back with something showing interest, it's always worth thinking, this might not be exactly what I want, but how can I take this opportunity to connect with them because they've shown interest and turn it into what I do want? And I think someone who replies and says, this is interesting, we could do this. There's always the opportunity to turn it around. The fact you've got a response shows they're interested. 99% of people will blank you um, because they're busy, because stuff's going on. They just won't even reply. So like just getting a response is huge. That shows massive, massive progress. I love that. Then it's thinking, well, what do I actually want? What do I actually want to do with them? Because there's so many other things you could do. You could say to them, okay, well, we don't do this, but Okay, you give me some free product, I'll talk about the product, and then maybe instead of paying me, you throw £500 behind YouTube ads promoting my YouTube video, or you throw £500 into Facebook ads to promote my video, which talks about your product. Then you win with new subscribers and a bigger channel, they win, and you get to prove that you've got some sponsors and progress. There's so many ways to do it, but let's get them on the phone You'd never do that. You'd never find those opportunities unless it's on the phone call. So the thing I would say to everyone listening, get them on the phone. Whoever it is, speak to them. You'll learn so much from the phone call. 100%. I think, yeah, yeah, I think that's actually really, really valuable and certainly something that I'll apply going forward because there are a few brands that actually responded to me with their kind of ambassador schemes. So something to the effect of for every sale, you get 5% commission. But the good thing off the back of that is I now have an email. I now have a contact that I can speak to. And I can oh, keep, you know, I've got a foot through the <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. That's now a contact. And some of these brands are brands that I really, really enjoy, right? So these are people that I can now contact. What I actually wanted to mention about this whole experience, specifically with sponsorship, though, is because we were talking back and forth about how do I want to do this? How do I want to monetize this? I can build it through brands that I work alongside or through my own internal self-generated events, products, whatever it is. What this exercise has kind of taught me is that I personally really relate to being able to do this on my own volition. So being able to generate sales and generate money from this myself I would love to work with some of these brands and I'd really enjoy this. A lot of the brands that I actually have reached out to have been brands that have already kind of featured on my channel already. So it wouldn't be much of a jump to talk about them specifically within videos. Where I struggle with though is the scale at which I'd have to do it to make it financially feasible for me. 
I'm in a very fortunate position. I know a lot of your podcast listeners have, are very familiar with the FI movement. I'm in a very fortunate position where I'm quite far along the path to chasing my FI goals. And I am in a job that I enjoy. It's a job that's nice. It pays me well. It gives me a work-life balance in which I can do this. And from speaking with some of my friends who actually work in PR, the interesting position I'm in is that a lot of the people that reach out to them for PR opportunities generally don't tend to be in that position. Generally, they're chasing after every penny that they can get from their blog or from their YouTube channel, from their Instagram, which places me in a very advantageous position when it comes to the types of jobs I can pick up. And it's very interesting because this is the first real time I've seen the power that chasing FI has given me. And it's come in a form that I did not expect, you know, my YouTube channel and being able to choose what products I can talk about. And I'm loving the fact that I'm in this position where I'm ready to monetize, but I don't need, I, I don't desperately need to. And that feels really great. And that seems to be what this exercise has certainly brought out in me. So I think there's so much to pick up on there. The first is the sense of desperation. <laughs> it's really interesting. If you're desperate for a piece of business, like people can sense it. And the more desperate you are, the actually less attractive that becomes to the other person. And this is true in the dating world and the business world. The more desperate you are, the more the other person runs away from you. I know because I've been desperate for business and other things. <laughs> sure, um, business. But that desperation, like people can sense it and it drives you the other way. And I think it's like one example of this. I'm going to liken you to Arnold Schwarzenegger for a second. Arnold Schwarzenegger became a millionaire before he got into the movies. And that enabled him to wait for the right opportunity, to look for the right thing. And I think that's incredible. And that mix between getting your finance in order means that you don't have to like sell yourself short for every single pound or dollar that you have to go for is incredible. So I'm, I'm a big fan of getting yourself fiscally straight, starting this on the sides, so that you're not too desperate and then building it as you go. And I love that. And I think the other interesting thing I'd love to build on is this split between money sources. So multiple sources of income is a fascinating way to look at this. Because if you've got your job, which is bringing in money, which you're investing, and the investments create a return, so you've got investment return, you've got income from your job, you've got your YouTube channel, which will start to see growth coming. Suddenly, you've got two or three different ways to make money. And that compounding of those different ways gets you even faster towards the financial independence. And the last bit I would say, which Katie and I thought about for a long time, is if your goal is, I don't know, whatever it is, let's say you needed £20,000 to live off a year and you're making 15 out of your investments, well, your side hustle only needs to return five for you to be financially independent. And I think that's a great way to look at it in the different mix of money that comes in. And it just gives you the confidence to speak to these people and say, that deal doesn't work for me. How about this? And push back. So I love the way you're thinking about it. And it also gives you, gives you the confidence to negotiate because I don't need you. I'm doing this because it's the right thing. 
100%. Yeah, it's like I said, I'm doing this for free right now. I'm giving up my time. It's something I'm passionate about. It's something that I feel is adding a lot of value to people. For me to ensure that it adds even more value to people and to myself, you know, I, I won't lie. I would get a lot of value out of monetizing this. I think I am in a very fortunate position and it's taken trying out all these things for me to really, really visualize that, right? And that's extremely empowering. I just want to take you to the next thing and the final thing I was given as homework, which was around building my email list. This is something you certainly hammered home in episode one when we spoke about this. It's the most valuable asset you've got in your business, your list of customers. It's not your charming wit, personality or English (laughs) accent. It's your list of customers. Well, you compared me to Arnold Schwarzenegger a few minutes ago, so I think that surely has to count for something. (laughs) But uh, one thing for this, so when we spoke, I think this is the piece of homework that I have probably dropped the ball on a little bit, but I think you'll be happy with the, the plaster that I kind of covered over the crack with. So we spoke about building even a one page website where people can come find out more about what it is I'm doing. And I could in some way, shape or form talk about collecting some sort of mailing contact. The avenue we kind of discussed when we spoke was around sorting out an event for maybe once COVID was over. Well, I won't go into it, but I didn't manage to do that. But what I did do was I got a Google form and I wrote, I basically populated the form essentially saying that once it's safe to do so, I really am keen to sort out a free calisthenics workshop in a public place, like a park or a gymnastics hall, where we can come as calisthenics athletes and just train together, talk about calisthenics, maybe grab a coffee before or afterwards. It was three very simple questions. And the bottom question was, please let me uh, leave me your email address. This will only be used to inform you of future events, et cetera, et cetera. So first of all, I posted it on my Instagram and on the private Cali to the Crowd Facebook group, which if you're listening to this, definitely jump into the, that Facebook group. It's, it's a lovely place to be. But I posted it there. The main reason I chose those two specific areas was because I'm not in a position where I could bounce around the globe to do this. A lot of my watchers are people that are all over the planet. It would have to be UK specific. And from those specific areas of so my Instagram and my YouTube uh, and my Facebook group, they're predominantly British. So I posted that on there. I got 40 responses, which I was very happy with. I wasn't expecting many. 40 responses from people saying, yes, they'd be happy to, to do so. The feedback was generally quite positive. And that is something I'm really excited about. That's something that could quite quickly be something that I could really leverage to build an even more powerful community and deliver even more value. Essentially, doing what I do now, but on a more personal level. And one thing I find quite interesting with that is this is something that I, I know I know you always speak about this, Alan, about the the leaning in moment, right? So they've said that they're interested. Now I've got to lean in and basically be like, okay, so the event is on this date at this time, be there, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I've already mentioned that it's free. So my leaning in will be them attending, right? Well they're spending their time they're spending their attention and that is still a valuable thing that people need to spend. So yeah, lean in, ask them, stare them in the eyes. You can do that on a YouTube video, just stare in the screen. 
<laughs> uh, but yeah, it's asking them to turn up. It's asking them to buy. Yeah. And what I'm really excited about with that is that it's certainly something that once I've tried it a couple of times and really cleaned up how I do it, I could certainly monetize that. It's an area that I'm certainly really passionate about. Like I said, I do it en masse on YouTube. This would be about doing it to a select few people and providing a far more personalized experience that, again, I think would be extremely valuable for them and for me. So I I was actually really excited. It's only 40 people, but I can't stress how excited I am with that. And yeah, I'm going to pursue that once lockdown's over. Given Facebook and Instagram's algorithm of hiding anything that links outside of Facebook and Instagram, the fact you've got 40 people filling that out is huge. And that is a fantastic start. One thing I would add to think about in the future is you've kind of boxed yourself in by saying, I will only tell you about events coming up. I think having a general mailing list for Callie from the crowd that you tell them about events, stuff you're doing, things you're working on is really useful. And I would still massively encourage you to do the one page website, build the list and just get that going. It's not a huge amount of work. And then you leave it running in the background and you just build the list over the time you're doing it. Imagine if you'd started this a year ago when you started it, you'd have a thousand email addresses now. Um, But start now, get going and build it. This is a brilliant start and you should absolutely do it. I think it should be join the Cali from the crowd. And I've got permission to email you when something's going on, when there's an event, when I've got a new video series, whatever it is, you want to communicate with them once a month, once every month and a half or whatever it is, but you need to build that list. Um, So I would still, this is a brilliant start and I would still encourage you strongly, very strongly. Maybe I should use stronger language. Do it. Start building the list, Andrew. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. It's certainly something of value. I actually hadn't thought about the boxing myself in bit. Yeah, I'll definitely change the wording on that immediately on the form if anybody else (laughs) does sign up. But yeah, the single page website, like I said, it wouldn't take me long to set up. It's especially when it comes to building websites, because I've built them in the past. I'm extremely perfectionist about this. And I wanted it to, I I know, I know. For those of you who can't see Alan right now, he's, (laughs) which is why I really wanted to at least get the form out so that I could start somewhere. Which is perfect. Yeah. So once I've got a MailChimp link embedded onto the homepage of, of my website, that will be the next step. For those of you who couldn't see Alan, the moment I said the word perfectionist, his face turned into a grimace. (laughs) perfection is the enemy of progress it stops you doing anything and you would not believe how many people i've met is saying i just need to get the website perfect before i launch it and the end result of that is they never launch it i am not a perfectionist which any of you who have been to alandonagan.com will know there are spelling mistakes Uh, it drives people mad but i don't care i've done it And I've built a mailing list of 2,000 people that follow my advice on business, finance, and entrepreneurship. And I've got out there. And that's not huge, but I've just, I've done it and I've got it out there. And unless you do that, people don't have the opportunity to join. They don't have the opportunity to do it. And perfectionism is the enemy of progress, Andrew. It just, it kills things. Like you've already got that banner that you've just done for YouTube. Like that looks great. 
stick it at the top of your homepage. Put a paragraph with your picture that says, I'm Andrew, I teach calisthenics. You want to be up to date with what's going on, sign up in the little subscribe now thing. And then a final bit, here's my latest YouTube videos. That's all it needs to be. Yeah, perfection doesn't exist anyway. Like, let's not even go there. Have you ever Googled perfection? I haven't. You get some weird stuff because perfection doesn't exist. There's no such thing. <laughs> you get some pictures of beaches that people say are perfect. You get some pictures of bodies that people say are perfect. But none of them are. They're all just things that people have judged. Perfection doesn't exist. You cannot get version two out until you get version one out. Yeah, it's interesting that that's where I landed, right? So this whole podcast has been about trying stuff and then learning from it. And I, I don't know what it is with websites, right? I've been like this for a while. I've built many websites in my time. And I get really anal with specific stupid details. So yeah, that kick up the bomb from yourself. I'll get on that. MailChimp will be my best friend over the next few weeks. I'm going to ask you for a commitment uh-oh. What are you going to commit to? Mr. Alan Donegan, I'm going to commit to building this one-page website at least that informs people what my YouTube channel is about and has a mailing link. And when are you committing to do that by? I will commit to do that by, should we say, two weeks maximum? Two weeks maximum. So give me an exact date. Uh, yeah, so the 8th of April. The 8th of April. Which is interesting because that means you can pull me up in it in our next catch-up with... With Matt and Rob working on the channel in the next episode. Exactly. And you know what my first question is going to be. (laughs) Is the website done? And it's interesting. One of the things I've noticed over the years is people will do more, me included, by the way, people will do more for other people than they ever will for themselves. And it always feels awkward. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you making me commit? And it's because if you commit to me, it's difficult to let me down, but it's easy to let yourself down because you're like, well, I'll just let myself off the hook. It's okay. But Alan, he might make me uncomfortable and sit in silence (laughs) and make me explain why it has or hasn't happened. So that act, if you're listening to the show and you've struggled to get something done, Commit to someone else that you're going to do it and ask them to hold you accountable. It is incredible how powerful that one thing is. Incredible. Yeah, especially when you're doing it on a huge podcast and you can't come onto the next episode looking like you've just been sat watching Netflix. Yes, Christina from season one of the coaching series, Christina with Fresh Print Media, she said exactly that. She's like, I've committed to doing it. And then I'm going back on a podcast with thousands and thousands of listeners. Uh, I better get it done. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about stakes, but like we need to use the tools we can to get leverage on ourselves to do the things because it's easy to avoid doing the things. It's easy to do something else. I am just as guilty. I've had to use every tool, tactic, technique I can to get myself to follow through. Because I know by following through, I'm going to make things happen. I'm going to do it. Like this podcast wouldn't exist if I hadn't have used some of these tools and techniques of committing to people to do it, of saying I'm going to have it done by then. Like just me committing to you that I'm going to be in your diary in two weeks' time, that makes me do it. It makes me record the next episode. It makes me put the content together. 
I'm committed and dates, times, committing to other people. That is the magic stuff. I use it, Andrew. I'm using it right now. I'm saying to you, I'll do an episode with you in two weeks. Then I'm committed. Is it, if it's in my diary, it's happening. Yeah, I'd 100% agree with that. Anybody looking to make content, first of all, consistency is king. If you can create content regularly and consistency, that is king. But that's hard. If you want to do it regularly, commit to it. It's why I put new videos every Sunday in my banner, because I knew if I put it in a banner and it got Saturday afternoon and I couldn't be bothered to edit a video, I had to do it. The amount of times I've just finished editing a video by 8pm on Sunday, just so that something (laughs) gets out on a Sunday is, is insane. But once you commit to it, to someone else or to someone's, plural, you have to do it. You're right. Committing to someone else is weirdly so much more efficient than committing to yourself. Yeah, it's strange. Like we will let ourselves down endlessly, but we will fight to not let other people down. Even if we've never met them, they're just listeners to a show or watchers. We won't let them down. Uh, But ourselves, like never mind about me, it's interesting. But that's the way most people I have found operate. So knowing that we can use it. If you're listening to this now, if there's something you've been wanting to do for a while, go find someone to commit to. It's incredibly powerful. Cool. So we've got a commitment out of you, Andrew. We know where we're going next. We know what's happening. And next episode, we're back to the YouTube side of things with Matt and Rob going through the channel and working out where next with your content, which I think is going to be a really fascinating episode. Do you have a closing thought for the audience? What you've learned through this experience, what your thoughts are? Do you have something you want to share? So from all of this, this has been a two, two and a half week period of just trying out lots of different stuff. And Alan says in this podcast, loads, try stuff, see if it works, basically throw darts at it. If there was one thing I could add to that, it would be that have an idea of what you want, but really be flexible on that changing. So I know if I had tried all of this stuff a couple of weeks back, I might not have been open to the idea of flexing my my idea of what success would look like. And now that I've tried all this stuff and got feedback from yourself and people like Matt, it's allowed me to really think about, okay, I want to achieve X, whatever that X is. And I can now make sure that my next steps off the back of this, so like building a website to maybe get me closer to running events, which these exercises have shown me is the part that I'm really passionate about. Everything I do here can now be tailored towards that. So before, while I was emailing brands and asking them to sponsor videos, maybe I get them to sponsor an event. Being open to tweaking your ideas based on what you want and then trying out new stuff. Just just keep trying stuff. If something didn't work once, try it out again. You will be surprised how much persistence gets you because I guarantee you 99% of the people out there aren't persistent. 99% of the people out there probably won't even make consistent content, let alone be persistent enough with a brand and chasing them and emailing them and finding out the name of whoever owns the the role of sponsorship account manager within the company. 99% of people won't do that. You already set yourself apart by being in that 1%. So you owe it to yourself to do it. Don't wait until Alan tells you to do it. 
I love that. Don't wait for Alan to tell you to do it. Just do it. What a great closing message. I think it's fantastic. And it kind of reminds me, we did an episode in season two with Travis Shakespeare about creativity. And there was a quote he couldn't quite remember. And he asked for the audience's help remembering it. And someone emailed me today with it. And it's from Joseph Campbell's book, Mythologist. And it's this. I have found that you do have only to take that one step towards the gods, and then they will take 10 steps towards you. That step, the heroic first step of the journey, is out of or over the edge of your boundaries. And it is often must be taken before you know that you will be supported. If you do that first thing, if you get out there, it's amazing how that changes and works. And I think sometimes people think, well, it's just one small thing. Like I'm just building a one-page website. How's that going to really help? Well, you just have to take the first step. You just have to do it and we'll learn on the journey. We'll work it out and we'll keep going. Basically, that's all this podcast is, Andrew, is Simon, my business partner, and I like to say, we've made a lot of mistakes, We've made a huge amount of mistakes. You can learn from our mistakes. You can work out what not to do, and then you can take some action, and then you'll make new mistakes. And then from those new mistakes, we'll learn again about what to do next and where to go. And I love that thought of getting out there and doing it. So to everyone listening, Andrew and I's rallying call is take the first step. Measure the outcome, stay flexible, and keep going. Because we know that you can build the life of your dreams if you start taking the steps towards it. Thank you for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Go make it happen. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a Rebel Entrepreneur.